Yesterday was Tony's birthday, so um, I am always thankful when her birthday comes around for so many reasons, but one of which is that um, Tony and I were born in the same year. I won't say what year that is, or I won't tell you how old she is, um, but it's younger than 50 and older than 40, and somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> but I was telling you, I'm always thankful when her birthday comes because we were born in the same year, but I was born about six months earlier. I was born, my birthday's in April. So for six months of every year, I have to listen to the fact that I'm older than she is. So that gets broken for six months, starting yesterday. So I'm thankful for my own pride and ego that I don't have to hear that for a little while. But, uh, but we had a good day, and I ran. I, I, it's, it's funny, some of you I saw yesterday, because sometimes after church on Sunday, um, we'll go to lunch. Sometimes we'll just grab something from Publix, and Tony will make, usually make the run to Publix and grab something, and she always comments how Publix after church on Sunday is like a second church because she bumps into so many people. Well, apparently so is Saturday because I went in yesterday and ran into half of you on a Saturday um, shopping and stuff, so I'm glad we're keeping Publix in business together. Um, all right, we're going to be uh, in Hebrews in a few minutes, so if you want to look in your Bibles, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2, a few verses in both those chapters. But I start with a story I read, a devotion I came across by a man by the name of Bob Morley. Now, I don't know Bob Morley. All I know is this little bit of his life that I read. But, but he was recounting an experience um, from earlier in his adulthood. And he was talking about a time in his life. He was working one summer as a camp counselor at a Christian camp. And uh, he was in between jobs, and money was really tight. And uh, he developed just a wonderful relationship with these high schoolers that were part of this camp. And, and they became aware of his financial difficulty. So they, uh, they took up a collection. Again, these are 14, 15-year-old kids. And they, they took up a collection and gathered all the money that they could, and they gave it to him kind of as a, as a love gift which he was incredibly humbled and incredibly um, blessed and, you know, touched by in every sense of the way. And they come to the end of the, the time together. They come to the end of their, their camp experience. And Bob said that every year they had this tradition. On the last Friday, they would have a big celebration party, and they would order pizza, and they would get cookies and sodas. And he realized that every year that they did this, the kids would chip in. They would make the contribution for the money to get this extra food. And he realized they couldn't do it because they'd given all the extra money they had for his, his love gift. And uh, he thought about taking the money they'd given and going and buying the party supplies, the food and things. He said, as, as I was thinking about that, I just heard this voice in my head say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't steal from them the joy of the giving. Don't take away that gift from them. So, so he didn't. He said, so that last Friday, he said their celebration party consisted of Dixie cups filled with water and some old crackers they had found in the pantry. But he said, 
as he reflected on that night, he says it was the most fun celebration party that they had ever had. He said it was a wonderful time, as meager as the provisions were. He said everybody had such joy and such fun on that night together. And he says, I realized that, that the reason for that was because they had learned, these, these young people, through their compassion for me, had learned this gift of self-giving. Of, of sacrifice, not looking at themselves, but sacrificing for, for something beyond themselves. And it filled them with such joy. And he said, that for us, he said, that night, that water and crackers, he said, that was what communion was for us. It was, it was communion for us. It was simple, ordinary, but it was profound because at the heart of it was a, a self-giving, um, a sacrificial act of love. And, and I share that story and that reflection because this morning we, we celebrate communion together every week, you know this, in this service. But today is, is a different kind of a communion day in the sense that it is World Communion Sunday. So Christians around the globe celebrate and set today aside different traditions. Some traditions like, like we do this in here, we celebrate every week. Some traditions um, more sporadically or under different kind of schedules, if you will. But it's a time that many churches set aside across denominations to celebrate communion together. Because communion is a meal that unites us. It binds us together. It's a celebration meal. And it's something that we can experience profoundly in any culture, in any form of worship, in, in any uh, tradition, if you will. I have had the joy of taking communion uh, in worship, in a worship service in China, where I didn't speak a word of the language. I've had the joy of taking communion in a worship service in Korea, where I spoke three words of the language. You know, hello, goodbye, and thank you. Um, I've done it in Kenya. I've done it in these, and so have you, many of you in other places, where I didn't know the words that they were speaking, but I understood the joy of the celebration. I understood the significance of bread breaking, of, of juice or wine. And some of you come out of different traditions. I, I remind some of, some of the young people when we uh, do uh, confirmation and things, that especially the ones that grew up in the Methodist church, I said, always be aware when you go to other traditions. Communion may be different. That's wonderful, but it will surprise you. I remember the first time I was 12 years old, I took communion in an Episcopal church by the cups, I mean, you know, and from traditions where you didn't dip, you drank from it. And the priest came, and I was at the altar. Nobody had clued me in on the Episcopal tradition. So as a 12-year-old, I took a gulp of wine for the first time I can ever remember, and I almost covered the priest's alb with it, you know, the spit take kind of thing. Different traditions, and, and it's valuable, but it is a meal of celebration. It's a meal that unites us, and that's really important in a time where we're so fractured and so divided for us to find that which, which unites us and that which, we, that which we celebrate together. And that's what, this, that's what this meal is. And so as we prepare this morning to take communion, but take it in, in this context of World Communion Sunday, we're going to turn to Hebrews because Hebrews allows us to begin to explore some of the very foundations of our faith. The text that we're going to read this morning isn't really about communion, but it is about what it means to, to be a Christian and why this meal that Jesus gave us is so important. If somebody were to ask you, you know, what does it look like? What does it mean to be a Christian? 
I think the writer of Hebrews begins to give us a foundation on which we can build that understanding that leads us and brings us to the celebration of this meal. So let's, uh, let's look at these verses. A few in chapter 1 and a few verses in chapter 2. And we begin in chapter 1 right at the, the very first, the very, very beginning. This is what we read. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, turning to the second chapter, I'm actually going to begin, um, I'm going to pick up at verse 8, Cass. I'm going to jump to verse 8 where it finishes with and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And with praise and with thanksgiving, friends, we give God glory for the reading of his word here today. Friends, let's pray. Lord, that we would, um, that we'd hear, that we'd be open to your word and, and speak to us your truth, your foundational truths of faith as we prepare, prepare our hearts for the celebration that we receive in the Holy Sacrament. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. There's a, a phrase you've all undoubtedly heard before. It goes like this. A picture is worth a thousand words, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. It speaks to that profound truth that you can tell people over and over, but nothing is as powerful as your ability to show people. You know, I, we, we've heard it said that a, a sermon that people see is more valuable than a sermon that people hear kind of thing. And, and so the, the writer of Hebrews I, I, starts with... with that kind of a foundation. He, he talks about the fact that for, for generations and generations that God had sent men and women to, to be the voice of God, to, to explain, to tell through words, tell his people who God is and what God expected of them. Those were the prophets. And they would come and they would, they would preach a message of repentance, of deliverance, sometimes of judgment. But they were the ones that spoke the words that began to help people understand the character and the nature of who God is. But here's the problem with that. Like that phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. Those thousand words, or the words of those prophets, are so often and so often were incomplete. They were valuable and they truthful, but they were incomplete. They didn't paint the entire picture. 
It wasn't as clear as God wanted it to be. I, I, I thought about this in relation to, to, to children, to generation after generation. I, I was thinking about it in relation to some, something that I hear so often from some of you when, when Ryan is up here playing, when, when Tony's and I, when our son Ryan is here and he's home from school. Sometimes some of you will come up to me and go, he's a spitting image of you, which I'm very flattered by. I don't think Ryan's flattered by that, but I'm flatter, flattered by that. But he's a, he's a spitting image, and I thought about that. Well, there certainly is a family resemblance. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and both with Ryan and Cassidy, not just in the, the physical appearance, but there is so much about their character and their nature and their personality that is reflective of both Tony and me. We sometimes see the very best of ourselves in them, and sometimes we see um, sometimes, I don't want to say the worst, but some of our edges as well. But the truth is that no matter how well you get to know Ryan, no matter how well you get to know Cassidy, you can't, through them, perfectly know me or Tony. You, you can get to see a glimpse and maybe get some understanding of us, but you can't look at them and have a complete picture of who we are. You get a piece of it. Well, that was kind of the pro- problem and the challenge with God to the prophets, is it was just a picture, but it was an incomplete picture. But, but God did something through the offspring, through the incarnation, through the, the sending of his son Jesus that is different than our relationship with our children. And that is that God sent a perfect representation of who he is. In fact, that's what Hebrews says. That's the, the phrase in the, the very first section that I read that I think is, is so powerful. Verse 3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is a complete picture of who God is. When we see Jesus, we see God in fullness. Archbishop Michael Ramsey uh, passed away years ago. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he he said that God is Christ-like. This was his, God is Christ-like. In God, there is no unchrist-likeness. And what that means is that when you see Jesus, you see the complete picture of who God is. You get that full sense of, of, of who God is. That's why we are so unapologetically, and I am so unapologetically Christ-centered in, in who I am and who we are, because our faith is understood through the lens of Jesus, because it's God saying, here's the picture. Here's the picture of who I am. Years ago, the, the philosopher Feuerbach had this critique of Christianity. He said, Christianity is just a projection. He said, all we're doing is we're projecting the best of who we are, and we're saying that's God. And the German theologian, Karl Barth, looked at that and said, yeah, sometimes that's true, except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Because Jesus is the concrete revelation of God. And what he meant by, here's Jesus saying, I'm, God is saying, you don't need to project, you don't need to speculate about who I am. Here I am. And God became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. And so we get this picture of Jesus. Now, why does that matter? Because when we see Jesus, we see God. We see the nature and the character of God. When when we see Jesus weep over Jerusalem, we see and understand a God who is capable of powerful sorrow for the idolatry and the sin of his people. When, when Jesus gathers the children and welcomes them, we see the tenderness of God. When he becomes angry at those who would use religion for their own personal gain, 
we see what God abhors. When, when we see Jesus welcoming the tax collector or the prostitute or those whose society had marginalized, we see the compassion of God. When he welcomes the, 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 the sinner, we see the grace and the forgiveness of God. You get the picture. In, in the behavior of Jesus, in his encounters with people, in his love of others, we see what, what God looks like. We see the humility of God. I talked about this in the first service during our prayer time. The need for us as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, in our, in our beliefs and in our, our convictions, to express them and live with the humility of Jesus. Because that's what Paul says was the very character of Jesus. He took on humility and clothed himself in it. And so these become so important because when we see Jesus, we see God. And that becomes a powerful revelation for us because we are not just given a picture of God but we're given an invitation through Jesus to follow in that way we are given this invitation to not just understand yay thank you God now we know who you are but but Jesus the invitation that he gave to the disciples is the invitation he gives to us which is that we're then called to follow because Jesus has gone before us. In fact, then you turn to chapter, or chapter 2, and it says that he tasted death. He tasted death, which is the meal that we, we, or which is what this meal reminds us of, that Jesus tasted death so that we don't have to. He tasted death on our behalf so that we don't have to live in fear of death. That doesn't mean that we won't die. But what it does mean is the sting of death, Paul's words, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Has been taken by Jesus who goes before us, who then lives in such a way that we're called into a relationship where that fear is replaced by the courage that comes with faith. And then the writer of Hebrews says this, uses this term for Jesus that, that I don't know is found anywhere other than Hebrews in the Scripture. I didn't, I didn't find it anywhere else. But he says that he was the pioneer. He was the pioneer. And I found that a very interesting description of Jesus, the pioneer. I don't know what you think of when, when you hear that word. You know, because a pioneer can somebody who leads the way in technology or, or thought or some, some advancement of, of human knowledge. When I think of pioneer, I think of those who blaze a trail. I think of those who, who are the first to go, to, to make a way for those who, who follow, if you will, those, the, the pioneers who moved the, the migration of people out west so that those in the east could follow. Um, I think about Lewis and Clark and, and those kind of explorers, but I think about those who, who make it so that, that those who come after know the way to go. A few years ago, when Tony and I got away for a week, we, we got a week, the two of us, just to go down uh, to the Caribbean. I think I've talked about the trip before. And um, we, we heard, I, I read, I read about this beach that was on the north side of the island. We were in St. Martin. It was on the north side of the island. And it was a secluded um, beach that wasn't easy to get to. You couldn't just drive to it. We'd rented a car, so, but you couldn't just drive to the beach. You had to go to another beach, and you had to find the trail. And so, so we did. I said, well, let's go, let's go check this out. So we went to whatever the other beach was, and we walked to the south end like I'd read, and it was just woods until you just looked around a little bit and finally you just saw the trail and you start walking and I think it was about a 30 minute walk or so 
to, to, you know, just following the trail. Don't know where you're going. I'm hopeful that what I read is truthful. I'm not being set up and led into a trap. And we just stayed on the trail because somebody had gone before and had made the way a lot of people had gone before. And we eventually did came. I think it was called, I think it was called Happy Beach. A beautiful cove and, and other people that were there because they found the trail as well. But, but my point is that the only way to know the way to go is to follow the path of someone who's been there before. Well, Jesus is, is our pioneer. Jesus is the one who, who, who God uses incarnates to say, this is who I am. But, but my call upon your life, I, I've come to you. I've tasted death for you because you matter. I mean, hear that. Hear, hear me say this. The, the joy of this, the celebration here is this is God's way of saying, as God does over and over in the scriptures, you matter. You absolutely matter. Every single one of us is created in the image of God. Every single one of us has value and worth, and every single one of us matter to God. But also that then we're then called to not only see in Jesus the full picture of who God is, but to then to reflect that in our own lives, to, to reflect that grace and that compassion and that love and that conviction through our walk. And so when we come to this meal, when we come to the communion table like we do every week, we come with a, it's a celebratory meal. It is simple elements. It's bread and it's juice. It is basic, but it's profound because in this meal, we remember Jesus who gave us that beautiful picture, not only of God's compassion and of God's um, a grace and of God's um, tenderness. But when he goes to the cross, he gives us a picture of the depth of God's love. I will go this far for you. I will taste death so you don't have to. And I will call you onto this path that I pioneer for you. Our challenge is to walk faithfully. Our call is to walk that. And the meal becomes the strength to do that. It becomes God's presence. The bread and the juice that sustain the body physically remind us of, of God's Holy Spirit, which sustains us spiritually as we walk that path. Our challenge is to celebrate. This is a reason to celebrate. It is good news. That's gospel. But to, but to also understand the implication and the call this has on our lives exact representation of God who is the pioneer who says to us you matter now come on the path that I lead I pray that with joy and with celebration we'll walk that path faithfully and as obediently as we can that we would reflect the one who is that perfect picture of God in his love in his mercy in his grace and in his compassion let that be the character and the truth of our lives amen amen, amen. let's pray Gracious Lord, we, uh, we would pray that we would reflect you as you have perfectly revealed yourself in Jesus. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for the promise that we matter, that we have immense value, unmeasurable value, and call us to faithfulness and obedience. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.